Good afternoon, Numpo. Good afternoon, Ajahn Soko. So today is Monday, the 21st of December, 2020. Thank you for offering the opportunity of another listening to some more Dhamma. So today's question is a very straightforward question someone asked. What the heck is pure consciousness? Well, before I answer that question, I wanted to send everyone listening my best greetings for the Merry Christmas, Happy New Year season. And I know it's difficult with the COVID epidemic, but uh, that's what samsara is. It's always there's always difficulties, so we. We just recognize it the way it is. So I send my best wishes for the new year to all of you who are listening to this video. The question of pure consciousness. What the heck is pure consciousness? Well, if there was no consciousness, there wouldn't be anything. You know, it's... It allows things to, uh, conditions to manifest, you know, and so it, it's here and now, it's not something uh, remote or refined. And it's so natural, so completely here and so completely now that we tend to overlook it. We tend to think of consciousness as inside the our physical body. So. When we die, the consciousness leaves the body and, uh, and goes somewhere else. So we think oftentimes consciousness is equated to a soul or some kind of spirit. But consciousness is where manifestation takes place. The whole universe is in consciousness. The sun, the moon, the stars, the space, everything is in manifest through consciousness. And if there were no consciousness, there would be no sun, moon, stars, space, you or me, Buddhists or Christians or anything else. So consciousness is what you're experiencing right now. It's it's not something uh, pure. Pure consciousness is it, you can describe it as what before you start thinking, before you start attaching to conditions such as your thoughts, your emotions, your physical appearance, when you let go of everything. And in the teaching of the Buddha, the, the practice of letting go, of relinquishing uh, one's grasp, one's, bl one's blind grasp of conditioned phenomena. When you let go of phenomena, what is what you realize is pure consciousness. It knows itself. They call it awareness, aware of awareness. So it, it's, there's no mystery. It's not something, but we, we tend to uh, pay all our attention goes to the manifestations that arise and cease in consciousness. So, you know, we, the world around us, the, the COVID pandemic, the 
Christmas time, New Year's, and all these are perceptions, conceptions, images that arise and cease in consciousness. Consciousness doesn't arise and cease. You know, we experience consciousness through through the senses, through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. But these, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, manifest in consciousness. They, consciousness doesn't manifest inside the body. So it's very important to switch for change from seeing consciousness as some kind of internal ability, you know, something mysterious and, and remote. Uh, or just seeing it as, as uh, what we experience through senses. The senses are in consciousness. Uh, when the senses, well, you know, when the eyes stop functioning, then the, you know, one can't see, one is blind, but one's still conscious. As you, sorry to interrupt, but as you raise that example, someone recently was asking about that because You've spoken before about eye consciousness ceasing, for example, when you close your eyes. So this person was going into detail about how when you close your eyes, during the daytime, you still have this kind of pink light coming through your eyelids. And then even at night when it's dark, they were talking about it in terms of still seeing darkness. How do you explain that? exercise that you were doing about cease, eye consciousness ceasing and being able to witness that? Well, if you go into a dark room with your eyes open, you can see darkness. Is that still seeing? Is that still eye consciousness? Yes. Your eyes are open, so they're witnessing what, you know, the objects of sight which is an absence of light. But when you close your eyes, then, it, then you can't see, you're not looking at, there's no object to the sight. You might have images arise in consciousness, visually you have, you know, when before you fall asleep, sometimes you get kind of faces and phantoms and mysterious, patterns that rise and cease in, in consciousness. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, imagination also is, uh, is in consciousness. So even these, you know, they are certainly impermanent, these ghost-like images or specters or phantoms that, that appear when you, when you're before you fall asleep, but they are in impermanent conditions. They're sankharas. I remember one time experimenting going into uh, a room, uh, a small room with no light in it, closing the door and, and then uh, just contemplating, staring out into darkness. So the first thing is I can't see anything. The first reaction, my inner, my mind started producing, I can't see anything, it's dark. 
but my eyes were open so I could see darkness. And suddenly I had the insight and the consciousness is, is light itself. So even in the dark, there's light in the sense of consciousness doesn't go dark. It still operates in, in the, in, in, in a dark place. And then the question of when you're asleep, are you conscious? You know, because you're, you're, you're not awake, you're not thinking or you're not creating images but, uh, or imagining anything in deep sleep. But consciousness is, because of the lack of images, consciousness doesn't cease in sleep, in deep sleep. It's still operative and uh, and then in dream state you start you know you imagine things in the dream state you can imagine yourself in the, in different situations or different conditions that you know arise and cease so dreams are sankaras waking life is is sankara i mean like phenomena uh, dreams are phenomena and thoughts are phenomena and, and feelings are phenomena, images, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, it's all phenomena, conditions that arise and cease. And in Theravada Buddhist terms, in Pali language, we call that sankara. And consciousness is yet there the whole time, whether these phenomena arise or not. Yes. And consciousness doesn't, has no, you know, it isn't born and doesn't die. Otherwise, how would we get to know anything if, if, if all we were were sankaras, conditions that are born and what would, what would be the knowing of those sankaras? Why, when we talk about mindfulness, we're, we're witnessing the, the presence and absence of sankharas. What is that 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 witnesses, that that observes? You know that it's, it's still re remaining when we've let go of everything, or when sankharas change. When they, you know, we can be aware of the arising of thoughts and the ab and the cessation of thoughts. Where did they arise and cease? We ask ourselves that question. All, all things that manifest arise, manifest in consciousness and cease in consciousness. And what remains is consciousness when, when, when we've let go of everything. So this is what we call the mindfulness path to the deathless. The deathless is, is consciousness. Or in terms of Theravada Buddhism, it's Dhamma. It's Santitiko Dhamma. It's a Dhamma here and now. Oh, you know, can we equate Dhamma and consciousness? Because consciousness is a word, a function of Dhamma. And when we talk about the immortal Dhamma or deathless Dhamma, you know, it's because of consciousness that we, 
we even have the word Dhamma. You know, without consciousness, there's nothing. There, you know, you, there's nothing is possible. Nothing can arise and cease. And then we're all in the same consciousness. So it's not personal. It's anatta or non-self. You know, when you begin to look at each other, we begin to notice each other as, as the same consciousness. You're looking at the reality of this present moment. I'm looking at you, Ajahn Soko. Consciousness is the same thing. But the bodies are different, the conditions are different, the sankharas are different, the phenomena is different. And because that's the nature of phenomena is, is difference, is quality, it's size, it's shape, it's male and female, heaven and hell, good and bad. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's all about qualities and conditions that arise and cease that are impermanent. But what, how do they arise and cease? It's through consciousness. So when we think of the present situation, you know, of those we like and don't like and uh, approve of and don't approve of, is when we begin to recognize that we're all in the same consciousness. It's not personal. It changes your attitude towards, you know, the, seeing just the form of somebody else and judging them accordingly, whether you like them or don't like them. So where equality really lies is in awareness, in consciousness, in wisdom. In differences, we're all, you know, in what is different, we're all different from each other on the Sankara level. Because no two Sankaras are the same and they're constantly changing. So trying to make permanent something that changes is a futile effort. But freedom from suffering is possible through recognizing the simple reality of, of conscious awareness in the present moment. It's very simple where the sankharas, the world, the changing conditions, it's all complicated. Like when, you know, our personalities are complications. You know, what I like and approve of and what I think and my experience and my feelings are all very personal. And, and they can get very complicated when I start thinking about myself as a personality, about being a man or, or being a monk or being an old man or something, then it gets all complicated. Being a white man is a complication of sankharas. Because those are thoughts, those are perceptions that we created. The body, our bodies don't say anything. They, they are what they are. They, they, they arise and cease. They are born. They grow up, get old, and die. They don't say they're. You know, we don't. Your body doesn't tell you you're a man. You tell your body it's a man. Man is a, 
is a is a word that's created in the English language or woman. You know, these are these are artificial conditions we create through giving names to sankharas to to phenomena. So we are caught in a complicated, sticky web of our own thoughts and views and prejudices and biases and opinions, concepts, all bind us to what I refer to as a sticky web. Like you, the more you try to remove yourself from it, the, the stickier it gets. It gets more complicated. When you try to analyze yourself as a person, where do you stop? You know, it, it just becomes increasingly more complicated. Where when you see that your true nature isn't personal, it's peaceful, it's perfect. So when I tell people they're perfect, they don't believe me. And I'm telling them the truth. <laughs> but the, the, the truth is, is it's something hard to believe in. It's something you have to see for yourself, you know, know for yourself. Because, you know, when you think of the truth, you, you're, you're thinking, you're, your thinking mind is a sankara, so it can't, you can't reach ultimate reality or ultimate truth through thoughts, through perceptions, through concepts of any sort. You know, the best they can do is, you know, like the Buddhist teaching, is directional signs pointing to the here and now. Making us, encouraging us, not making us, but encouraging us to, to awaken to this present moment. It's like this. And when I say, use these words, it's like this. These are words we create. But it's not judgmental. Whether, you know, whether the present situation is acceptable or unacceptable isn't the issue. Unacceptability is like this. Acceptability is like this. And you begin to just be the witness to the present, not judging it, but knowing it is the way it is. And that it changes, it changes because you can't keep uh, an emotion or a situation permanent. You know, everything changes. You know, you can't, you can't stabilize what is, what is, whose very nature is to change. You can only witness change. So you talk about this sticky web of views and ideas and concepts and likes and dislikes and everything. If one cannot disentangle oneself through thought, because that leads to more entanglement, then how does one disentangle oneself? By trusting in awareness. And, uh, and how do you do that? I mean, it's not something you do, but still, how does one go about that, trusting awareness? Well, it's like questioning yourself. When you ask a question, 
any question, whether it's a worldly question or not, there's a, the thinking mind stops for a moment. So then, you know, like the, the who, am I, who am I kind of question. So you, you, you ask us, you know, in, in, uh, in some forms of Buddhism, they use the koans or these conundrums that blot out the thinking mind. And so like in Zen Buddhism, they're famous for these koans, which make no sense intellectually. You know, your intellect wants, is about logic and reason, defining, uh, describing everything. But you can't describe the consciousness with, you know, because it's the very present reality of knowing. So when you try to describe it, you're, you're, you're using words that are sankharas to describe the, the ultimate reality, which is here and now, which is what you really are. And so, you know, you, you can come up with rather interesting theories and ideas about consciousness. But awareness, consciousness, mindfulness, these words all mean the same thing. And so, you know, because they're used in different contexts, but it's just like the present moment here and now. For example, uh, when I first ordained with Lung Pa Cha in Thailand, uh, you know, I couldn't speak Thai and, and I didn't know any really very much about Theravada Buddhism. Uh, and especially about the, the disciplinary code and about the, the Pali teachings and so forth. So, uh, you know, and I was in a situation in Thailand where no one could speak English. But Lung Pa Cha came across as being, em- emphasizing this awareness style, being aware of what you're thinking and feeling. So, he, you know, he, just this simple teaching of awakening to the present moment, being aware of it, not judging it. I could do this in the midst of the frustration of learning another language and fitting into a totally different lifestyle, monastic, very strict uh, disciplinary lifestyle in a, in, a, in, a, in a different country, different food, different everything. And you go through, you know, a period of, you know, incredible frustration brings up all your, you know, your feelings of resentment and frustration and confusion and self-consciousness. But Ajahn Chah's emphasis was for me to observe that, to be this observer, this witness to the frustration, the, the, the self-consciousness, the, the, sometimes the hopelessness, the, um, being aware of wanting to leave, wanting to disrobe. Uh, you know, this was all fodder for the, 
for the awareness cabin. And so I could really, you know, that first year, I look back now and, and I know I suffered a lot, but it, because of the, you know, having to readjust my whole lifestyle and way of thinking and responding to life to a, to a totally different culture. It was very, very, very different from American culture. But it also, because of Bhumachar's emphasis on awareness, I could benefit even from, you know, being frustrated by the situation I'm in. And so I remember having insights, feeling I'm fed up, I can't stand this anymore. And then just by patiently enduring the feeling, by allowing it to be felt and recognized, it ceased. And suddenly you have the insight and suddenly I, that whole sense of being fed up and at the end of my tether disappeared. And I felt a sense of inner peace in the midst of uh, the same situation that I was fed up with. Well, that peace wasn't created by thought. I didn't create the idea of peace. I wasn't meditating, trying to, you know, make peace my object of meditation. It's the natural state of consciousness. It's peaceful. So in that first year, before I could really understand the Thai language and Lumpa Cha's formal Dharma talks, I did have, you know, powerful insights into how to how to cultivate this, how to develop this ability to how to trust it, learning to trust it. Because when you think about it, when you think about yourself and about mindfulness and consciousness, then you you, you know the thought itself always leads to doubt. When we doubt, when we're caught in our doubts, it's because we're attached to thinking. You try to solve all problems with thoughts and ideas and you end up with doubt, no matter how clever your, your mind may be. So when you, when you use the word to trust, you're talking, it's almost like you're talking about an emotional relationship to, like a heart-based relationship to awareness, to consciousness rather than an, an, an analytical one. Is that it? Well, it's, it's the ability to, it's not a belief, you know, you're not, you're not asked to believe anything in, in Buddhism, Buddha Dhamma. So Rinpoche never asked me to believe in him or believe in Buddhism, but to trust in awareness, and that's always here and now. So at first, you know, you, you understand the words well enough, and but you, tr you don't know how to trust awareness because you're thinking about it. So, you know, it's, you stop, you investigate the thinking process. Because, you know, like most of us are 
well educated. So you, you know, our whole cultural conditioning, our whole experience of life has been experienced through conditioned thinking. You know, cultural conditioning, social conditioning, religious conditioning. It's all conditioning. You're not born a Buddhist or you don't with a, with a language, you know, no matter what country, nationality you, you're born into, you learn the language after you're born, but you're, but you know, a newborn baby is still conscious, fully conscious form. So, learning to trust, like in, in certain teachers talk about returning home, or to when you you're, you know when you were an innocent child before you were conditioned, and so it, and where we we're so attached to our conditioning, to our thoughts, our ideas, our views and opinions that, you know, you, you can examine, you know, I'm aware of having an opinion about something, a political opinions, a religious opinion. And so I, 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 you know, this is, this is right and the other's wrong. When you, when you attach to opinion, then you're taking sides, you're dividing everything into right and wrong. And so you you tend to see things as well, my opinion's right, and if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. But instead of getting caught up with trying to prove I'm right and you're wrong, I observe the feeling of I'm right. You know, I start observing this sense of being right and that you're wrong. Because it's a feeling, it's a thought, you don't, it's not permanent. It arises and ceases according to other conditions. So in, in any religion, you, one of the big problems is righteousness. Because, you know, you, you, you know, like between Catholics and Protestants or Mahayana Buddhists and Theravada Buddhists and, well, there, there's always a, preference or an opinion about what's the real teaching of Jesus or of Buddha, what's the real, the, the pure uh, form of Buddhism or Christianity, and we can form strong opinions about it, not that they're wrong, or they are opinions. Because even the word Buddhism is a word created you know, it's it's a word we use to describe anything that aligns itself with, that wants to call itself Buddhist. I remember in England years ago, somebody saying what a real Buddhist is, and and uh, and a lot of Buddhist groups in London were not really Buddhists, and forming opinions about that Theravada is the real form, the the essential teaching of the Buddha and, and then kind of dismissing all the rest in, in terms of they're not really Buddhists. And, and I thought Buddha never taught Buddhism. That's a word that developed in the English language. 
but he taught Dhamma the way things are. So the way things are is that all conditions are impermanent. A very simple reality that we, it is not difficult to observe. Just by observing, looking at things, and you're, or observing your mind changing, your moods changing, your thoughts, your memories changing, sounds, smells, taste, touch, you know, they're all about impermanent conditions changing. It doesn't take much, you know, it's not very difficult to observe impermanence. And then, like the idea of righteousness, of being right and wrong, then, you know, we all want to feel that, you know, that we're, we're on the right path. And that makes every other path wrong. We're not as right as ours. It gets on that soul thinking, you know, and end up with doubt. So like some forms of religious practice is affirming that we're right and we're, we're the true form and, and we're the only way and things like this. This is a way of affirming intellectually a belief, but it's not awakening to reality. It's not the way things are. It's the way you're, you believe. It's what you believe. And a belief is something that is impermanent. Or Dhamma, the, the Pali word Dhamma or Dhamma is about what's natural, what's the way things are, that all conditions that arise cease. And Dhamma is not personal, it's, an, it's impersonal. So then you, you reflect on Dhamma here and now. What is, is a personal is awareness. To make awareness personal, you have to start thinking. I have to think I'm Ajahn Sumedho to become Ajahn Sumedho. When, when, the, when I stop thinking, there's a conscious awareness. And it's peaceful. Then I create, I'm Ajahn Sumedho, then that's not always a peaceful perception. <laughs> so, so becoming a person, you know, on a conventional level, it's, it's, you know, you can use a word. You don't have to stop thinking, but realize that thinking is, is an artifice, is a, is a sankara. And you can't realize the deathless reality of Dhamma or pure consciousness through trying to, try to define it or think about it. It's like trying to find yourself, you know, where, where do you look? And then about this consciousness when we learn to trust it and experience it as this open openness. How does one have, because we sometimes have these ideas of developing focus and having a type of concentration 
is very focused, and then you very often talk about this open awareness. Well, like samatha or concentration practices, or you're you're focusing on in sankhara. Usually, you know, something leads towards tranquility or happiness or peace. So that that's still sankhara. That's still you have to control the mind to do that. And so it's it's like it's a good mental exercise. Nothing wrong with that. But you can't awaken to reality through through concentration on an object. So you open to to everything. When I use this gesture of openness rather than this one-pointed concentration on an object, it's it's a way of kind of visually expressing this, letting go of everything. And things are that even if your mind is a total mess, you know, suddenly you're opening, you're trying to focus it on, on a candle flame to, to get tranquil through, through concentration. And then your mind just wanders and you create all kinds and you have a lot of family problems and worldly problems to deal with. And then you open to it. It's like this. It's a way of, of accepting the way it is and it, and it, things change. So you're, you're, you're no longer interested in trying to get rid of it. But witnessing its, its impermanence. When you're trying to get rid of it, even in the, you know, you can fool yourself in the open state. <laughs> I mean, if I just open up to everything, all, all my problems will dissolve. And then you're, you're wanting, you know, there's a desire to get rid of emotional problems or difficulties. And, and that's part of the acceptance, the recognizing the desire, desires that arise to, to get rid of, uh, confused mental states, emotional problems get rid of anger, get rid of jealousy and fear. And we want, you know, on personal level, we all want to get rid of these kind of emotions. We'd like to experience permanent love, happiness, and the kind of strength of character and stability that we can imagine would be very desirable. We imagine a desirable state of perfect human being, we admire somebody else who looks like they're perfect and we're jealous of them, you know, so we, we, uh, you know, we, you can't, you can't open up with the desire to get rid of your problems. It's letting the problems be what they are because they are conditions. They're not permanent. They're not self. So the more willing you are to, and it's humbling because, <clears throat> you know, the ego depends on, I don't have any problems. I'm perfectly stable, normal, healthy man is, is the ultimate ego. 
or and I'm a total mess. I'm a neurotic, hopeless case, uh, uh, a drug addict, alcoholic, and pedophile. <laughs> Even that is, you know, you're creating those images. So you, you know, you. It's learning to trust this awareness. There, it's like so you're not trying to get rid of anything. You're letting things cease according to their nature. So it takes patient, <coughs> patient endurance. Learning to accept the way it is, it's like this, non-judgmental. When I was, I was brought up as a Christian and I always was told God was a judge, you know, that judged you according to your sins and, uh, and so forth. So to me, I always thought of God as, as a kind of patriarchal figure pointing his finger you know, and and uh, as a judge, you know, so this is this is how I learned Christianity. And then, in in terms of mindfulness, in in Buddha practice, Buddhist practice, you realize God is not doesn't judge that this consciousness, God or whatever you want to call it, is is non-judgmental. It's it's loving kindness. It's metta. It's Karuna, rather than, you know, you you shouldn't think like that, you shouldn't say things like that. It doesn't, doesn't tell you anything, but totally receptive to the present moment. It's like this. And I found that it's such a relief to think that ultimate reality is not some kind of patriarchal judge, you know, going to punish you when you die for things you've done in the past. But is metta, loving kindness, ultimate reality is peace, is happiness, not, not hell and, or, you know, if you've been good all your life, you go to heaven, but even heaven is, tends to be like, a reward for being good rather than, you know, opening to the reality of, of the way things are. 